The search for life beyond our earthly realm has been going on for decades. Are there other Earths out there with life forms on them? Or is our planet unique and life contained only within its borders? Stay tuned. If you don't find life elsewhere, or you don't find conditions for life elsewhere, then that's a real problem for the evolutionists. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Isaiah 45.18 tells us that God created the earth to be inhabited. While the earth is a wonderful place to call home, could there be other planets similar to earth where life can exist? Many secular scientists think so and are continually trying to find life in other places. But why is this so important? Make yourself at home for the next 15 minutes as we discuss so-called earth-like planets and consider the possibility for life on these distant worlds. What is the purpose of searching for life in the distant universe? Well, Dr. Danny Faulkner is professor of astronomy at the University of South Carolina, Lancaster. He says evolutionists believe that finding life elsewhere in the universe will show that the Earth and its inhabitants are not a special creation of God. Evolutionists need other planets. They need life on other planets. If we have evolved, if life came about spontaneously billions of years ago, then you would expect that this sort of thing is pretty common and happens again and again in the universe. If you don't find life elsewhere, or you don't find conditions for life elsewhere, then that's a real problem for the evolutionists. Because if we are the result of a unique event, then it's either an incredibly uh, remote probability that we happened, or somebody made us. And it's not very satisfying for an evolutionist who doesn't want to consider a creator to look at either of those possibilities. Dr. Ron Samick is professor of physics and astronomy at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. I guess the main thing is the holy grail of modern astrophysics is to find another Earth, find another civilization, and uh, like our own with people that might be similar to us. And I think the main reason for this is to discount Christianity to prove that evolution happens throughout the universe and that intelligent life is quite common in the universe. Dr. Donald DeYoung is professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He says although people may get caught up in the thrill of possible life forms other than our own, we should rely on what the Bible says about planet Earth and the life God put on it. Why is there such popular interest in aliens? The topic is certainly nourished by movies and science fiction stories. People wonder, are we alone in the universe or not? And either answer is significant. If we are not alone, then who else is out there? What are they like? And if we are alone, then why is the Earth unique in the entire vast universe? The only satisfying credible answers to the question of life come from a biblical worldview. The Earth is indeed a special location in space. The Creator gave close personal attention to the earth, and he walked and talked here during New Testament times. After five decades of space-age discoveries, there's no evidence of life anywhere else. There also is no mention of extraterrestrial life in Scripture, other than the angelic world. Mankind is described in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 as a little lower than the angels. The abundant life on earth may well be unique in the universe, a testimony to the creation account of Genesis. But what about the many, many reports of people seeing UFOs? 
Dr. Samick says most of these sightings are easily explained. I used to be the uh, director of a public observatory up in Indianapolis in the Holcomb Observatory, and we would get calls now and then by people who said that they've seen things and so forth. Usually they would call us about a time when Venus was bright and low on the horizon. When Venus is low on the horizon, it sparkles and, and has all kinds of different interesting colors, flashing colors and so forth, because it is bright and it going through the prism of the thick atmosphere down when it's low toward the horizon. And that's the kind of thing we would get, and they would wonder what that is. Usually Venus was, <laughs> was the key object in the sky that brought out all the uh, sightings. Although strange lights can appear in the sky, it's important not to let our imaginations run away with us. Dr. Samick tells us that he himself, on a few separate occasions, had seen what looked like a UFO. We're out at Lowell Observatory, and my student that was with me said he saw flying saucer. Well, I looked over there, and there was a light that appeared to be moving around erratically in the heavens. And then I was able to sight an edge of the dome and compare that to the object, and, and all of a sudden it just froze solid. It wasn't moving. And just your eye playing tricks on you, basically. It's trying to find some fixed thing to see the object relative to something, and and they can't find anything, and so it makes objects just kind of jerk around in the sky. Another time I saw a object go across the sky and suddenly start uh, swinging around in wide wave-like motion, and, and then it basically disappeared. And I found out the next day that it was a NASA rocket that went awry and they had to blow it up. I also saw one time a satellite moving across the sky, and of course these satellites move fairly rapidly across the sky, and you can see them. It suddenly vanished, and I said, what in the world? And it suddenly appeared again. And what it had done, it had gone into the shadow of the Earth, just like the moon goes into the shadow of the Earth. Many planets beyond the outer limits of our solar system have been found, but can they support life? Well, Dr. Faulkner explains how we know these worlds are there and tells us that their size alone disqualifies them from being capable of supporting life. Astronomers first found a planet orbiting another star about a dozen years ago. We call these extrasolar planets because it means they're outside of the solar system. And the list now has grown to more than 200 extrasolar planets. I want to point out we've not actually seen any of them. They're building some advanced telescopes to do just that. But right now all we're detecting is the slight wobble in the star around which the planet orbits. As the planet orbits the star, the star also wobbles, so we can detect that wobble. So, again, more than 200 of these have been found. The main thing is that these planets are, are very big. They're oftentimes hundreds of times the mass of the Earth, and everybody agrees that those are the wrong kind of planets. You have a lot of the gases, hydrogen, helium, methane, ammonia, and we think we need probably a lot of free oxygen and probably nitrogen as well in an atmosphere. And that kind of narrows the limit on what the mass of the planet can be. If it's too little mass, the surface gravity is too small, and you don't have an atmosphere at all. If it's too much, you get the wrong kind of atmosphere. So these big planets we found aren't going to work. The second problem they have is these big planets are very close to their parent stars, that they orbit the sun, that they orbit, if you will. And that's bad because that makes the planets very hot, and that's not suitable for life either. And astronomers have defined this thing they call the habitable zone. It's a region kind of narrow around a star where a planet can orbit 
and have temperatures low enough probably for liquid water to exist. But in April of 2007, scientists believed they might have found such a planet a mere 20 light years away from Earth. What has gotten people excited about this discovery of Gliese 581c is it has only five times the mass of the Earth. All the other planets we've found so far have had masses hundreds of times, or a few dozen times, but this one's the smallest mass planet yet found. And this may be small enough, we don't know for sure, but maybe small enough to have the right kind of atmosphere. But as an added bonus, this planet also is in the computed habitable zone. It has the proper temperature regime, probably. They're estimating between 0 and 40 Celsius as a surface temperature. That's roughly 32 degrees Fahrenheit to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. So if water exists on this planet, on the surface of the planet, it's probably in the form of a liquid rather than a solid ice or a gas as a vapor. However, Dr. Faulkner soon discovered a few problems with this planet, showing it to be very unearthlike. First of all, Gliese 581 is a variable star. It's an example of what we call a B.Y. Draconis star. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to most people, but these stars have a lot of spots on them, like sunspots. And as the star rotates, it causes the brightness to vary. And the brightness can be very small, you know, less than a percent, or it could be up uh, nearly a factor of two. And it turns out, right now at least, Gliese 581 doesn't vary that much, less than 1% in brightness. With all the worries we have about global warming, you can imagine what would happen if the star we were orbiting varied by just a few percent in brightness. It would be real problematic for life on any planet orbiting it. In addition, there are flares on these stars, again, kind of muted a bit right now on Gliese 581. But when solar flares happen, that's not good. It's problematic for communications. It can be problematic for living organisms. So just keep that in mind that Gliese 581 may be a pretty nasty little star. Right now it's kind of calm, but we don't know what its long-term behavior is. There are other problems. The orbit of the star is eccentric. That means it's not circular. It's a very flattened sort of shape we call an ellipse. We can see that although God has created numerous wonders in the universe, Earth really is a unique, special place that the Creator has made especially for us. Dr. Samick says that modern science will continue to search and find other planets, but our home, planet Earth, is one of a kind. And they're out with larger and larger telescopes and more and more precise CCDs and radio velocity measuring spectrometers. They're out to find Earths, and I'm not saying that they won't find Earths but they won't find an object of the mass of the Earth. But it's going to be very difficult for them to prove that it's like the Earth. I think that we're looking at something that's going to take another 20 or 30 years for uh, them to actually say they found Earth. And I think they're going to find out that Earth-like bodies are very, very, very rare in the cosmos. And I think it's going to show you that the Earth is truly a distinct, novel, a place that was created because a place that just doesn't happen. So then, if Earth and its inhabitants are the focus of the Creator, why do other planets even exist? Dr. DeYoung. I believe that these objects have been put in space, kind of like the outer planets of our own solar system, just to show how special the Earth is, the air, the water, the, the food that we have on Earth, whereas all these other places are, are nasty worlds, just showing us, uh, again, the special attention given to planet Earth.
Dr. DeYoung adds that out of all the life God has placed on his special planet, mankind is the most important, as people are the ones he created to have a relationship with him. In Scripture, the creator of the universe speaks to us. He tells us in Psalm 115, verse 16, that while the heavens belong to the Lord, he has given the earth to man. There's something very special about planet Earth. Astronomy discoveries, including new planets, are fascinating. Space exploration is especially enjoyable to those with a Christian worldview. Knowledge of the Creator, however, is infinitely more exciting than the narrow topics of space aliens or life on other planets. The Creator reaches out to us with a true explanation of the universe. He also offers us the gospel of salvation, which gives hope for the future. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.